Hello and welcome to April. I'm Denver 7 traffic anchor Jason Luber in the hot seat. Ready again for another great edition of the Driving You Crazy podcast. The only hot seat I remember from my childhood was on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. I always wanted to be on that show. I am Who Wants to Be a Millionaire enthusiast, Joseph Peters. <laughs> also the podcast or uh, pedestrian advocate for this podcast. That was a uh, that was a great show. Classic. Classic show. Classic. Oh, but only with Regis. Not as good as with Meredith. And, well, and now they just have some anonymous yoke posting the show. <laughs> of course they do. You know. Why wouldn't they? Well, we both took some well-deserved breaks uh, from the show and from work last week. I had some family in town. You, where'd you, you didn't go anywhere, right? You just stayed around? Took a lovely staycation, explored the trails of Colorado. How uh, are they? You know, they're cold this time of year. They were, I, I, uh, it rained on Monday, and I went for a jog on Tuesday and didn't take into account Bannock. The, every single sidewalk on Bannock Street was a puddle, right? There were puddles everywhere. It was incidental. You couldn't walk down that street without hitting one. And then when you got to Wash Park, the asphalt paved area was full of puddles, and the gravel area where the runners usually are was completely mud-soaked, and you couldn't use that either. So your feet? It was not a pedestrian-friendly day, oh. is what I'm trying to say. Well, there you go. Maybe we have some work to do to become a pedestrian-friendly city. Well, I, I guess the, the old adage, don't play in the rain, really applies. I like playing in the rain. I remember there, there was this little uh, ditch culvert area right there in front of my house growing up. And when we get these real big downpours, there'd be a nice big pool of water there. And when you're a kid, when you're you know eight or nine, that little bit of water for us now was a lake. And it was great fun. Just the greatest fun. Absolutely. Well, the highlight of my trip was dropping my family off at the airport. Always. Uh, actually, the highlight for Every me was, single ri- time. <laughs> was riding the Amtrak train from Denver up to Glenwood Springs and back. I was really excited to ride the train. I've always liked trains. Trains are they're just cool, especially the big ones. Not necessarily the light rail trains and those commuter trains, but you know the the big passenger trains, uh, the freight silver trains, bullets, the right? silver bullet. Yeah. yeah, there you go. The um, oh, what was that movie with uh, uh, Silver Streak with Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder? Crickets from sure. you. Crickets. Oh, it's classic. classic. It is a classic. Oh, it's so great. Silver Streak. Anyway, uh, Amtrak has their own little infrastructure over at Union Station. That's our train station over there. They have a little office window and a place to drop off your bags. And we had to drop off our checked bags um, about an hour before departure. And it was a pretty simple and easy process. There was just some guy, just some random guy um, there in that little storage area who took our bags. I I tipped him. You have to. <laughs> you have to. You, get, you gave us a little baggage claim like you would at the airport. Well, I mean, we're not savages. We can no. tip these people. <laughs> we walked over to the platform, and then the conductor, there's this guy that's outside the train, and he puts down this little stepladder, basically. And he, he's, he gives you a sign. He, he assigns you the seats right there, and he says, all right, how many of you are there? And we said, well, there's, there's seven of us. And he goes, all right, you can have seats 51 to, to whatever, 58. And uh, so, so when you get on the train, we were in the coach section, and so you have your seats there, uh, and, and that's how you get them assigned. Interesting. Um, and, and most of them are, are pretty comfortable. They're way more comfortable than airline seats. I'll tell you that. They're, they're more roomy. They, they lay back nearly, not flat, but they do lay back quite a bit. Um, they so have they a foot lay rest. back without squeezing the person behind you? Yeah. 
Because if that person is laid back too, and there's enough room between the seats where you can lay back and really not affect them that much. So it's not just that the seats are comfortable, but you got leg room too. Right. Well, and you also have these this leg rest, this one that comes up from the bottom of the seat, and then you have a foot rest on the seat that's in front of you. So you have all that going for you. Um, they also have a sleeper car too. And the sleeper car, I'm sure, is way more comfortable with a lot more room, but we didn't have a ticket for one of those. But, I remember, you know, about 20 years ago when I was on the train going from Denver to Detroit, uh, I was in one. Of, I was just trying to sleep in one of these coach seats, and it was fine, I guess. Not too bad. It probably wouldn't have be, been as good as the sleeper car uh, like you saw on Trading Places. Right. But Did you see that movie, Trading Places? No. Of course not. Why course would not. you? Dan Aykroyd. But it's Eddie easier Murphy. to fall asleep in a train seat than it is in a plane seat, right? I mean, or something like that. Oh, yeah, like no, that. way easier. Yeah. Plus, it's it's rocking a little bit gently, so it's it's a lot easier than on an airplane. Okay. It's just different. Uh, but the one big problem I had with the train, though, overall, from seat to floor, from the tables to, to inside and out, just about everything on that train was dirty. I don't know if it was just that train or all of them in general, but the entire train just needed a good scrub down and, and probably some regular, more regular maintenance and some updating. That's really what it needs. In the observation car, they have these eight tables. So, so you, have, you have your coach seat cars, and then you have your observation car. Mm-hmm. Okay? And in the observation car, they have, they, they have these eight tables. They're, they're comfortable, and you can sit basically four people at each one. And, and I carry some of these, uh, these alcohol wipes, right, in my backpack. So I wiped down one of the tables because I use this on the airplane too. Because you're a dad. Exactly. And when I picked this thing up, I showed, my wife goes, what are you doing? And then I showed her the, the towelette mm-hmm. and it was just covered in filth. Oh. It was almost black. And you know how like if you just have it planted on your hand and you're just rubbing with your hand, it just it had like the handprint on yep. there? Yep. It I- was that, yeah, it was that bad. Maybe they have somebody clean the cars overnight, but I, I kind of doubt it. I think they wait to get across the country or finish their trip going from Chicago to L.A. and then back to really service the train. That's too bad, though, because it could be a much more enjoyable experience if you weren't worried about like sitting down in khakis and getting dirt all over yourself. <laughs> yeah, so, but, but the thing about the observation car is that they – all right, so they have these 20 or so – forward-facing seats, as well as those eight tables, and people scramble to go get up there. So even though they have a seat, a couple of, you know, either the next car back or the car back after that, where where they their own personal seat where they can hang out and sleep and rest or whatever, right. all your accoutrements, but then they have the observation car where it has these other seats that are, are probably a little bit less comfortable, but they look straight out, and, and the roof has a, this little glass area so you can see up and out. and Literally, you can observe from yeah, the you observation. Can, it, Stunning. (laughs) Um, And and that's the thing. Many people, they get right on the train, and then they rush over there to claim their spot. And then others have learned that if there's any kind of a seat open, whether it's there in one of those 20 observation seats or even at the tables, they let's say you have three at a four-person table and one of the seats are open, bam, they'll squeeze right in there and take a seat. Interesting. So it's a crowded observation car on, yes. the, on the train. Yes, and ride. it's just the one observation car. For how many people? Well, I, however many the train carries. So we're talking hundreds of people, right? And they all just swarm into the... Well, I wouldn't. I don't know about hundred. Well, maybe a couple hundred people at least. Something okay. like that. But not all of them swarm in there at once. They try. People try to. Um, it, it, it's a bit awkward when, when all of a sudden you're sitting there as a family group doing something and then some guy just slides in 
and sits down at your table with you and opens up their laptop? I mean, let's all be friends, right? Yeah, well, the, I mean, the people are nice for the most part, uh, but they're they're just some are a little bit odd. Right, they're nice except when they're weird. Well, yeah, because some seem a bit a bit creepy. The the ones we interacted with were were mostly fine, but they're riding a train. So why wouldn't they be maybe a little bit creepy, Jason? I mean, they're riding a train. What does it say about you, man? Come on. Uh, again, I'm a little bit creepy. There you go. Overall, I mean, it's an interesting collection of folk. Uh, we, we met some nice Amish people from Pennsylvania. They were going back home after going to California. Apparently, one of them was getting surgery, and they had to do it in California, and then they were on their way back. Uh, we met some locals from Denver who were just trying to avoid the I-70 traffic and wanted an easy ride up and back instead of driving on I-70. They wanted to avoid that traffic, and so they were taking the train. And some people were actually scared to fly, and that's why they were on the train. Uh, it, it, obviously, it's cheaper than taking a plane, depending on the route, especially at last-minute travel. Um, one guy, he actually flew. He said he flew from L.A. to Chicago for work, but then he wanted to change. Uh, he wanted a, a change of pace going back home. So he, he wanted to take uh, some time to, quote-unquote, work some things out in his head, he said. Okay. So And in his life. So that's why he was taking the train back. Uh, some of the people needed a good hose down, though. I'll tell you that. Typical. <laughs> Let's just say they were a little bit more than stinky. Um, so were the bathrooms. A couple of the bathrooms also a little bit more than stinky. Uh, they're small. Uh, I, I guess they're a little bit bigger than what an airplane's uh, bathroom would be. But much, but I, I think they were much more dirty. Maybe because they weren't as serviced as regularly as, let's say, an airplane. Because an airplane will fly for three or f- four hours at most, and then the whole plane is serviced before the next flight. Mm-hmm. The, the train isn't like that. It's not like it goes from Omaha to Denver, and then it's serviced, and everything is clean, and then you get back on, and, 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 it's, and it's sparkling pretty mm. again. I mean, there were streaks left in the potty. <laughs> All right? The, the That's I say unacceptable. More? They, I mean, there was water all over the place. They they just needed a good scrub down, mm. and the food it was it was average. And uh, but uh, at, like at an airport or a ballpark, way right. overpriced. Oh, uh, that's too bad. Just way overpriced. The one thing that airports and ballparks also have in common is that the quality, like there's a there's a ceiling for how yes. good the food can possibly be there. You know, and it's weird because they they're touting some renowned chef making up their menus, and, and it was just average food at best for me. I would love for our UK based fans to tell us how the food is at the pitches out there. I think yeah. that's what they're called. Uh, during soccer matches, because like we go to Coors Field, right, and they tout all these fancy items all the respect in the world of Coors Field, but on game day, like, they're in a rush. We're trying yes. to cook for as many people as possible. And when you do that, like, you, you cut the level of potential quality there. Exactly. And and the food is not only rushed out to you, it's pretty darn expensive. Uh, you know, eight bucks for a hot dog, eight bucks for a beer. And so this is what you were dealing with on the train as well. Similarly, $8 yeah. Eight dollars for a hot dog on the train. Well, not quite that much, but yeah, no, it was way overpriced. The last time I took a Greyhound bus, <laughs> we stopped at like all these skeezy gas stations, the types where you can get a hot dog or it's a keto for like a dollar fifty, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so we did visit on the way up. We visited the dining car because they have a separate dining car and a separate snack car. Well, I guess the snack car is a part of the observation car, but the dining car is uh, a whole separate deal. And we 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 did that for lunch on the way up. And you're actually you're sitting down and you're being served food, 
And it was fine. There were three of us at the table, and then they brought a single gentleman who was traveling by himself, and he sat down with us, which was, I guess it was fine. He was staying in the sleeper car, so his meal was already covered. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was. Did uh, you talk to him? Yes, we did. He was actually, he was a nice enough guy. Um, but I, it, it's, it's always a strained conversation when you meet somebody for the first time and you're sharing a meal with them. Yes. Right? Yes. Eating in front of people is always uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly. They they do have they they have a snack bar. So on the observation car, you walk down the stairs, and then that's that's where they have this snack bar area, um, and, and they have snacks as you could imagine, and they have drinks and including alcohol, all you know, beer, wine, hard liquor, anything you would want. Some folks were were getting a lot of drinks, like typical. Yeah, but for five or six bucks a beer, that's that's a little much. I mean, right. how long is the train ride? <laughs> well, again, yeah, you're on a train. But one of the pair, one of these pair of girls, I saw them. They uh, actually brought on with them a bottle of champagne, and they went downstairs and got some orange juice. So they were making their own, uh, I guess, impromptu mimosas. Beautiful. Right yeah. God bless America. So, but I spent some time talking with the manager of the of the snack bar, and he says they work a shift. the The train employees there, they're on for six days, at least on the Zephyr. They're on for six days and off for seven, and he really likes that schedule. He says they have sleeping quarters on the train. Um, he says the conductors and engineers, though, they have a set shift and that they have to get off after a certain number of hours worked, and that's, that's I'm sure, a federal uh, railroad authority deal. Understandable, though. Um, yeah, exactly, but he says he likes the work. He says he likes the hours. He likes the schedule, um, and, he, and he says the benefits are great, too. He says they're really good health care benefits. And he said, and I asked him, I said, so the scenery, you're basically seeing the same thing over and over and over again. He goes, well, it really never gets old because in his head, he might be somewhere else in his mind. And he's, even though he's looking at the same thing, it doesn't feel like he's looking at the same thing. Mm. That yeah, was, that, I can that was see that. A little bit too deep for me. Uh, he says he lives in Chicago, as does most of the crew, at least on that line that goes uh, on the Zephyr that goes between Chicago and L.A. Um, and they all get off, they, they all get off there. And then they service the train, and then the next day, a new crew gets on, and off they go. Mm. And then it starts starts over again. It's a grueling lifestyle. I mean, to be constantly it's different, yeah. moving around. Ugh. Now, the best part of the trip, really, was the unreal scenery. It was un. It was just spectacular. Places you would never see from a road. Um, and since I wasn't driving, I actually had the freedom to look around and enjoy it. Which usually I don't because I'm driving, I'm trying to watch the road, I try to see some things, but it's never the same. I mean, really, you're looking at the road, and that's what the experience is. <laughs> right. Uh, and overall, the train was fine for what it was. It was unique. It was nice to be able to walk around. I mean, you're free to walk from car to car and even get out at certain stops. We got out at Frasier, um, and then it stopped again over at Glenwood Springs, where obviously we got out and stayed out. Um, it, it, unless you're in a major town, it only stops for like five or ten minutes. And and you will get left behind because if you're not back, it's not like they do an attendance check. If you if you don't get back on when they say all aboard, and they they pull up the uh, uh, their little step stool. I mean, he's the, the conductor gets on and you're gone. Right. <laughs> you, well, because when do they check your tickets to make sure you're going to the when right you're place? on when you first get on the train? Like in Denver, we we got on mm-hmm. and then it was after we already started. Going down the track, then they came by and scanned our ticket. Well, but did they? They didn't. I'm surprised check it. they don't scan it when you get on. I was going to say they don't check it more often after no. that. No, no, because I'm sure they just kick you off at the next stop. Right, which is worse, if in my opinion, than them checking it when you get on. Yeah, and it really is truly one of the better options to travel if 
you have the time if you if you think that the journey is more important than the than the destination yes then i think it is a good way to travel it was it was nice and relaxing i didn't have to drive yeah there were certain frustrations with some of the time delays that you have to go through um, and dealing with people and the public and the dirty and that sort of thing. But but overall, for what it was, it was fine. Well, and you didn't have to drive. And that's exactly. really what you're paying for, right? Exactly. And it was it was slower than flying, obviously. It was nice to be able to enjoy a cocktail and, and just not drive, so that was good. Or to, I would like, better, I would like, better to do that than enjoy a cocktail <laughs> and drive. Yes. I, I would like to experience, though, what it would be like on a European train. Because I'm sure those trains are much cleaner, nicer, uh, more updated that sort of thing. I, I think they have it down in Europe than they do more more so than they have here because that, that's what people do. And you, and you hear people backpacking in, in Europe and then they take the trains everywhere. Well, everything's closer together in Europe, right? I right. mean, all the major cities are as close as like New York is to Boston and to Washington D.C. And that metro area can really support a train system like the one that we're talking about. But when you get out to Denver. Where's the train going to go? <laughs> like, yeah, you know what I mean. That's just the way the city's built. We're well, not, not close only to just anything. the city, but the the country. I mean, we're especially out here in the West. There's just a lot of space, right? I, I don't think I want to ride a train in India. I don't think I, I I don't think I'm interested in in riding on the roof of a train just to catch a ride. I maybe maybe that's more fun than the trains here in Denver. <laughs> maybe. maybe we can get that expensed, man. You think so? Driving you crazy in India. <laughs> well, while we were both away from the mic, uh, the video from inside that self-driving killer Uber was released, and surprise, surprise, the woman who was supposed to be watching the road was looking at her phone. Yay! That's exactly right. We unfortunately saw that coming. (sighs) On that video, you can clearly see this safety driver looking up at the road and then down at her phone again and up for a brief second and then back down at her phone. And that last reaction where it's freeze-framed when she looks up for the last time and she saw that she was running over a defenseless pedestrian... It was predictable. It, 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 her mouth was open, eyes as big as watermelons, eyebrows up, knowing at that moment she just ran over someone. I, I think she's probably going to have to have some type of criminal charges filed against her, mm-hmm. as will probably Uber because of the negligence. Uh, I'm sure, I'm, I'm guarantee that there will be a civil lawsuit in this case, not only against Uber, but most likely against her as well for being, again, negligent and not paying attention to what she was supposed to be doing. But that draw of the cell phone, and even while she was not driving, technically driving, the car was supposed to be driving, you can't stop it. She was being paid to watch the road. Right. And she couldn't even do that. Right. She was literally being paid to not look at her phone and look at the road instead. And she ended up running over somebody and killing them. It's horrible. And, and again, I think this is going to be just a speed bump mm-hmm. on, the, on the road to eventual self-driving cars where we're going to see uh, more little pieces of autonomy put into cars. We have the uh, Denver Auto Show this week, and so I've seen some of the cars over there, and they do have some pieces of autonomy. They have some Jaguar that they think is going to be all outfitted and really cool, but that's, it's going to take time before all of that is is really instituted. Well, I mean, this was a clever ploy from Uber, if you want to be really cynical about it, because now we've proven that the self-driving cars crash, 
Nah, it was actually the human's fault again. Yeah, like the what, score one for the self. driving Well, but it was car. also the self-driving car should have seen this this person and then stopped. So it was double. Mm-hmm. It was the self-driving car fault and the human fault. You can't blame the self-driving car for not knowing any better, but you can certainly blame the human for not knowing any. You better. can blame the human for not knowing better, but the self-driving car was supposed to have enough sensors and the ability to sense there was something wrong in front of it. To be able to, maybe it needs infrared technology. I mean, this was bound to happen eventually. And yes. it's, it was always going to be a big deal when it did happen. But I think because there was a human behind the wheel and the human was also negligent, like this, the impact of this is lessened. I'll be interested to see what happens the first time a self-driving car with nobody watching it gets into a crash and kills somebody. So this speed bump might be the size of a school bus or maybe a large SUV mm. rather than just a... Minor little speed bump. Yes, or yes. the size of a human. Or the size of a human carrying a bicycle. Ugh. Dateline San Francisco Life 360, the leading location sharing app that protects and connects families, released the largest U.S. distracting driving study to date, identifying which people, states, and cities have the most and least distracted driving. They said they leveraged its unrivaled location technology and largest source of driving data in the world. Life360 analyzed the driving behavior of over 6 million individuals across the country, most notably finding that teens, they say, are only 6% more likely to use their phones while driving than their parents. Is that more of a sign that everybody's parents are using their phone, too? Yes. Okay. And that maybe the kids are smarter than their their parents. Now, they call it the Heads Up, Phones Down, Distracted Driving Intervention Report. And it looked at a total of 45 billion miles traveled by Life360 users. They say it's the largest distracting driving survey to date. And distracted drivers, as measured by significant interactions with a phone's screen while driving a vehicle, were found to be four times more likely to speed and 40% more likely to hard brake than those who were not distracted. Before we move on, I am interested to know that if Life360, I think they just track you. I didn't know they also have a camera in your car or on the phone that knows when you're looking at something on your phone besides uh, any, I mean, what, besides just the GPS or whatever. How do they know that you're actually looking at your phone when it's just supposed to, I think, track you? Right? As, 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 that's what I thought that app does. It, it's a little Cambridge Analytica. Yeah, I would agree with you. All right. Overall, they say the West Coast had less distracting driving than the East Coast. At the state-level report, that found that New Jersey drivers are the most distracted using a phone an estimated once every 4.7 miles. New Jersey was also one of the states with the highest number of crashes per mile driven. Wyoming drivers are the least distracted using a phone an estimated once every 7 miles. Well, there's very few drivers in Wyoming. Maybe that's part of the issue. When comparing cities and metro areas, the report found that Miami drivers are the most distracted using a phone once every four miles. The metro also had the highest crashes per mile driven. Denver drivers are the least distracted. Yay, Denver! Using a phone once every 6.25 miles. So they're still on their phone all the time. Yes, all all the the time. And even so, Colorado wasn't in the top 10 for least distracted driving state. So even though they said Denver is one of the least or is the least distracted city, we are still not in the top 10 of least distracted states, which is interesting. So maybe everybody else in the state is really distracted. 
However, in Denver, you're too busy because you're really, maybe you, you can't go that far without looking at your phone. Those Grand Junctioners, man. <laughs> Everybody in Durango. So there you go. We're distracted. And there's no way to stop it. Ever. Forever. Forever. We're always going to be distracted. Darn. Forever and ever. You always be- all right, I'll stop singing that song. Uh, all right, anyway, <laughs> coming up, they say that April showers bring May flowers, but the temperature changes around here bring on something else. We'll have that story and much, much more as the Driving You Crazy podcast continues. More of the Driving You Crazy podcast in a moment. Here's the deal, and here is the deal. This is the best newscast in Denver, and I'm not just being biased because we're on it, but we've got everything you need every single morning. We're fun, yet we're informative, and we get you out the door with what you need to know. Lisa Hidalgo, only on Denver 7. Denver 7 on the weekend is a great way to start your day. You get all of the news, the weather. We talk about what the weather's going to be like heading into your weekend plans, if it's going to affect it, if you want to head to the mountains. We have a good time, and we'd love for you to join us. Katie LaSalle, only on Denver 7. Welcome back to the one and only podcast of its kind. To our knowledge... Mm-hmm. The world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. We featured so many stories, Joseph, about bad things happening on and in and around planes and with the airlines. So in the effort to be as helpful as we can, here at the Driving You Crazy podcast, we wanted to give you, our loyal and faithful listeners, some real sound advice about what to do if a flight attendant asks you to do something on a flight that you really don't want to do, like... Flush your hamster down the toilet or stuff your dog into the overhead bin. Don't do either of those things, people. This is real-life practical advice, Joseph, that you can take with you and and use it in your real life and, and, and do it in real-life situations. The first thing experts say is to remain calm and cooperative. Cabin crew are taught to prioritize safety. So by emphasizing the idea of safety in your negotiation, they're more likely to consider your request. And don't be afraid to use the camera on your phone either, because it can be an excellent way to document an unfair situation, and you can use it to your advantage, especially if you're traveling with somebody and you have them record while you are engaged in the negotiation. Mm. Yes, the old film them trick. Yes. (laughs) That always works when you're dealing with flight attendants. And then quickly post it. To everywhere. Right. Uh, Also, use the same tactics you would to resolve a dispute with, let's say, Amazon or Walmart or at a restaurant. Outwardly, the airlines greet you with a smile and emphasize a similar commitment to customer service, but complaining on an airplane is fundamentally different because the inside of the cabin is ultimately uh, governed by a set of inflexible laws that prioritize safety and anticipate worst-case scenario disasters. At the heart of most passenger horror stories lies some rule that transformed an ordinary service interaction into something more akin to a police stop. And these dynamics are the special sauce that makes airplanes uniquely terrible venues for conflict mediation. So what you need to do 
if let's say you need to win an argument on an airplane, as if your dog's life were on the line, speak up, but beware of the limits because speaking up can get you kicked off. Because flight attendants aboard that United plane, even though she was wrong when she forced the dog in the overhead bin, the passenger could have been thrown off the plane if she had refused to store her dog in that overhead bin. That, that, that obviously would have been me. I would have left the plane. I asked my brother and his wife, who first got me hooked up on this uh, idea of the emotional support animal deal. They have this little Bichon. They take it with them everywhere. They did online. They, they got some whatever certificate where they paid 150 or whatever dollars to get this online certificate that makes their dog an emotional support dog. So they can take it everywhere, and then, they, you know, obviously it's snowballed after that. That's outrageous. Where people have sloths and turkeys and, and peacocks. They paid and, for an online course for an animal to or get Or whatever it was. Yeah, it was $150, Man. so they have that, that thing. Get right? out of here. So I, I asked them about that because they travel with their dog all the time. And they said if they were presented with that same situation, they would have just walked off the plane and asked to be rebooked when they got back to the gate. Um, and, and that seems like it's the most logical way to handle a situation like that. Because there's fegu- federal regulations that, in effect, criminalize insubordination on airplanes. Uh, federal regulations require, for instance, that, that passengers, they follow all crew instructions. Crew, of course, they include the flight attendants and really anyone who services the aircraft. So if you refuse to follow their directions, the airlines can take advantage of the broad permissions they're granted and refuse transportation to any passenger they deem a safety risk. It was the same situation when I was on uh, airplane, and this guy next to me, he seemed drunk. <laughs> I saw him slam a beer in the terminal before getting on the plane. He seemed a bit off, and so did the flight attendant. He, he seemed a bit off. And so they had a uh, baggage guy come on the plane and, and kick him off. Because they're part of, quote-unquote, the crew. And they and they can. They have that full authority to do that. Ugh. But you should still, if you think you're wrong, you should still speak up. Because the key here is to remain calm and avoid monopolizing the flight attendant's attention. Lawyers will tell you that you, you, you are allowed to disagree with the flight crew, but you must do so without interfering with their duties. Because if you can't convince the flight attendant to reconsider the decision, then ask to speak with the fleet flight attendant... And don't ask to speak to the pilot because pilots usually are trained to prioritize their cockpit duties and then defer all the in-flight issues to uh, the flight attendants and the lead flight attendant and then all of them. Because really, if a flight, if, if a pilot didn't back up their flight attendants, it, it would cause a, a big issue for that line of communication and, and the line of trust, right? Yeah, I mean, you really. have to be able to, as a pilot, lean on your crew and your crew has to trust the pilot to do everything the right way. Right. And finally, it's always better to speak up while you're on the plane at the gate because this would allow you access to uh, the conflict resolution specialist that they apply, uh, that they employ in the airport, and, and they're versed on all matters of, of the regulations and how to deal with these sort of things. So it's always better to get off the plane at the gate rather than try to deal with these things on the plane while you're flying. But if the problem isn't life or death, you can probably just swallow your pride and that might be the best uh, way to handle a situation because you really consider whether your problem truly requires an immediate resolution because the rules are stacked against you inside the plane, especially if you're flying. Here we go. This lady. What's up, boys? This girl. Give me a microphone. How's the podcast going, boys? When's the last time you brought your dog on an airplane? Oh, gosh. Well, she's a chihuahua. She's about the size of a mouse. And I brought her on a plane uh, like 10 years ago when she was little. 
Are we talking dogs on planes? Yes. And what is your feeling about that? Well, see, my brother, and we just explained this, my brother he and, and his wife do this all the time. Yeah. They bring their dog on the plane, but they have one of those certificates that makes it a service animal. He's doing air quotes with his fingers when he says that, by the way, just so you know. It's not. It's a joke. Service animal? What? Some, some of them are. Like, seeing eye dogs, I can understand, right? But, like, <laughs> emotional support animal? Like, if the dog makes you feel less anxious, that's a natural human reaction. Like, petting a dog is a nice feeling. But that doesn't mean you should bring it on the plane. Well, but there are people that have actually serious medical conditions when it comes to flying. Like, it freaks them out. Like, I can kind of get that. Right. No, and I understand that. But I'm saying, like, there has to be a standard, right? I mean, how many people do you think abuse? use this system versus how many actually genuinely like have well, support animals. I'm, I'm sure more people abuse it than yes. 99% abuse it. Did you make that statistic up? Yes. He put it in air quotes. <laughs> air quotes again. Is this whole this whole podcast in air quotes? <laughs> yes. Pretty much. What are you doing here? Well, I was coming to do weather for the radio, but you're in here using the audio booth. My name is Lisa Hidalgo, by the way. Denver 7 uh, morning meteorologist. Kind of a big deal. <laughs> Yeah, you said it. All right, bye. You bye, boys. Bye. And she's out. And there she goes. Again. Once again, hijacking the podcast, Joseph. Uh, Useful discussion from the old Hidalgo. (laughs) You're right. All right, Joseph. It is uh, April. Yes, it is. Happy April, man. Happy April. Any April Fool's Day pranks in your house? Uh, No, we don't really do April Fool's pranks around the house. That's good. It was also Easter Sunday, so... I, maybe that that also kept the pranks down a little bit. Okay. Uh, anyway, they say that April showers bring May flowers. That's the old adage, right? Yes. But the temperature changes around here bring on something else. Big old potholes. <laughs> yes. Some roads look more like a cheese grater than the water of a windless lake. Oh, yeah. And then you get a big old pothole and like your whole vehicle takes a dive when it gets into it. Yes, Ugh. exactly. And I tell people, if you see a big puddle, don't drive through it. No. Because... It's obviously holding water because there's a dip there. Right. It's definitely a pothole yes. if it's holding water. So why is it that we can launch our car into space, but we can't keep our pavement smooth and devoid of holes for more than a month? Answer that one for me. I can't do it. Speaking of that, I saw this picture. You know that, that uh, Chinese spacecraft or whatever, that satellite that came to Earth? Yes. Uh, our friends over at Channel 9 released, or they had some graphic, and maybe it was an NBC graphic or their graphic, whatever. But on Twitter, I saw this picture of this graphic where they had a picture of that thing, and then they had a picture of a school bus right next to it. I'm sure it was to show the scale, but it also showed it like it was in space. I'm thinking, now we're sending school buses to outer space? I mean, you would get to school faster, right? I suppose so, (laughs) but re-entry is hell. Uh, So I have three stories of how some people are dealing with potholes around around the world here. In the first story, a man on the city council... For a town in the UK, says the town's budget for fixing potholes is not big enough, so he has taken matters into his own hands. Instead of using the tried and tested method of filling a pothole with asphalt, he decided to use Cocoa Puffs. <laughs> Great job. Yep. There Great is a job. video of him pouring an entire box of cereal and a gallon of milk into the pothole. Is it a small pothole? Like, was that oh, enough was to fill enough. the no, pothole? No, he, 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 well, it, it filled the pothole. A gallon of milk and a box of Cocoa Puffs. He claimed that it was only a temporary fix. <laughs> I did not see him grab a spoon and try to eat any of the Cocoa Puffs from the pothole. Uh, I would... 
play you some of that audio because uh, of their unbelievably strong accent. We would never be able to understand a word they say. <laughs> it is, re- I mean, and they also say the F word a number of times. So they're a bunch of hillbillies, basically. And so I can't, I can't really play anything. Uh, he did wear a safety vest. I can tell you that. Now, when the man filming, taking the video, asked how much money they were given to sort out, you know, and fix all their potholes, the other man, he points at the pothole and says, well, we have six million pounds, a budget of six million pounds, and that's all there is. So I guess they don't have enough money. Cocoa Puffs and milk, man. You know, we, we joke about it, but Cocoa Puffs is really an important breakfast food for million of, millions of Americans. Where Co- that's, that's all they get for breakfast every day is Cocoa, Cocoa Puffs. Puffs. Yep. Or maybe lunch and dinner as well. Uh, I could eat cereal all day long. You know, you are what you eat. Can you imagine becoming a Cocoa Puff? From Did you just call me a Cocoa Puff? I might have. Uh, in story number two, I take you to the small town of Kadoma in Zimbabwe. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that. Everybody from yeah. Zimbabwe, let me know. I think you nailed it. <laughs> with several young people there came up with one of the most creative ways yet to fill a pothole. They planted a banana tree and grass into several potholes. Yep. Banana trees <laughs> right there in the pothole in the middle of the road. The city of Kadoma is only now deciding to rehabilitate most of its roads after the planting of the trees. City officials there say they were embarrassed by the tree planting and grass and only afterward decided to fix the roads. Again, we laugh about this, but the city of Denver is tearing up plenty of streets just to put some trees in the middle of them. So, so there you have it. So mm. we could have done that for free. And the last story, dealing with potholes, will hopefully put an end to the need to have citizens fill them with cereal or plants. Larry Zanko, he's been thinking about potholes for the better part of three decades. He's a geological mining engineer and a senior fellow at the University of Minnesota Duluth Natural Resources Research Institute. He's working on two different technologies, both of which use magnetite. It's an iron ore sourced from Minnesota's iron mines. And tests of both of his pothole patching solutions held up for more than a year and even more than several years in some of the cases. So in his first method, he uses microwaves, not not like the big oven. He's not carrying ovens to the road. He uses the microwaves. <laughs> that would be a little ridiculous, wouldn't it? That would it? be a little ridiculous. And he heats up the potholes and surrounding pavement before fixing them and filling them with a mixture of magnetite and recycled asphalt. And the final step is to nuke the patch to create a seal. Now, preheating the ground and then microwaving the magnetite-infused patch makes it stronger. And so, basically, the heat makes the compound bond and become more one with the surrounding asphalt. Because, really, it's a mix of, uh, it's a problem, all potholes are basically a problem of, of cracks. Yes. Water into cracks, and if you keep the cracks out, then you can reduce the number of potholes. Fix the cracks. But that technique only works on asphalt roads. Now, the second solution he has, which Zanko calls rapid patch... Works on both concrete and asphalt. It's a water-activated magnetite and aggregate mix that simply gets poured into a pothole. No heating is required. The patch can then be driven over within 30 minutes of repair. And Larry's been working with the Minnesota Department of Transportation and a couple of other companies to test this technology and hopes to commercialize them within the next within the next few years. And then, of course, cha-ching, <laughs> cash in on the whole on the whole deal. The entire country is going to be using that magnetite to fix the roads. Yes. See, that's what it takes. Magnetite. The road in- magnetite. Yes. The road infrastructure in the United States scored a D grade in the latest American Society of Civil Engineers 2017 Infrastructure Report card. So we have a ways to go to get better. 
We don't have the greatest roads in the world. No surprise. And according to the report, 21% of U.S. roads are in poor condition. We have a $836 billion backlog of highway and bridge capital needs. $836 billion. Ugh, too much. The ideal scenario in the battle against potholes is to have roads that really don't fall apart in the first place. That's what people are working on at the Swiss University in Zurich. In collaboration with the Laboratory for Road Engineering at the Swiss Research Institute, the team discovered that adding magnetic nanoparticles such as iron oxide, like the magnetite, to asphalt, and then using a magnetic field to, quote-unquote, excite the particles. (laughs) Have you ever excited a particle? (laughs) Uh, It would cause them to warm up, and this would make it melt, and that would close those micro-cracks before they become a problem, because obviously it's the cracks that become a problem, and that's how you get the potholes. Yes. So the idea is to heat up the road once a year to close any of those micro-cracks, and as long as the micro-cracks are closed early enough, potholes won't have a chance to form. So somewhat similarly, the team at Binghamton University in New York is also looking at adding fungus to concrete to enable it to be self-healing. I love that idea. You like that? Fungus in the concrete? Beautiful. Researchers say that the fungus could be preemptively mixed into concrete when oxygen and water seep in. The fungus then produces spores, and that fills the micro-cracks. Technology! And nature. Technology (laughs) and nature, not just technology. I love it. And while it might take a while to see these technologies in action, testing of these methods continues, and it may take a decade or less, hopefully, before they're ready for commercialization and widespread adoption. Get the magnetite out of here and bring in the mushrooms. (laughs) Is that what you want? Mushrooms growing out of your road? Mushroom roads. But I think that's brilliant technology. People are I completely agree. Yeah. We're laughing about it. It's not a joke. I mean, that's a great idea. Why wouldn't you have self-healing roads? Exactly. It's 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 brilliant. I like it's it's really just taking nature and putting it back into what we want. uh, because nature really has figured about about basically everything. Yes. Right? I, I hope these kids at Binghamton University aren't just putting together a good thesis and can't deliver. I hope they do deliver. I'm rooting for you, Binghamton. Call them. And who hasn't left something somewhere and then realized it's gone? It's especially <laughs> bad when you do it in a cab or a Lyft or an Uber. You're laughing over there. That's so deep, man. Isn't it, though? Who hasn't left something somewhere and then it's gone? <laughs> I'm not that deep. <laughs> I'm as deep as a pothole. Well, Uber just released their Lost and Found Index for the year, and it includes some of the more unusual items people have managed to leave behind in the Uber cars. Some of these things are a little weird. Are you going to try to read all these in one breath? No. Okay. Here's now the list of some of the weirdest things left in Ubers this past year. A Burger King visor. Divorce papers. Star Wars Encyclopedia. The divorce papers one is rough. Excuse me, sir. I uh, I need to get these back. Do you think they were signed or? Oh God, I hope not. Originally signed Jesse James Decker CD. I didn't know she made a CD. Don't know who that is. That's all right. Eric Decker used to play for the Broncos. Wide receiver played with the Jets. Not His wife is some model girl or whatever. No. Had, all right, and everything. Uh, letter from a boyfriend who is in jail. <laughs> I think you would want that back. Yes. A 1.3 carat round diamond. That's too bad. That's, that's <laughs> Well, that's obviously, if it was reported missing, hopefully that person got it back. Well, this is the list of found things, right? I guess. So it was found. That's a good thing. Two packets of Dead Sea mud. 
Mm. Where do you get Dead Sea mud? I guess the Dead Sea. Uh, rhinestone mask. <laughs> Mardi Gras. <laughs> Probably. Detox tea. Again, Mardi Gras. Mm. Uh, tax returns. Longboard with Rasta colors. It takes effort to put the longboard in the car. Like, how do you forget that? How is that found? How about a marriage certificate? Well, see, if you're already married, then maybe you don't need the certificate. Right. You just go get another one. Certificate's just a piece of paper. It, that's not as bad as the divorce papers. Ukulele cat carrier. It would be sadder if it was a ukulele cat. Or if the cat was in the ukulele cat carrier and then they left the cat. Yes. Box full of hair extensions. Those weaves are valuable. We used to have a anchor girl in the morning that had the hair extensions. And then one of them came out or she left them somewhere. And I <laughs> hung it up on the board down there <laughs> in the studio. Kind of gross. Uh, Bushnell Golf Rangefinder. That's not that weird. Dark green wool fedora with feathers and a pin. Is that like a Scouts thing? A fedora is a hat. I, right, but like, isn't it Boy Scouts that wear those? Uh, it's, it's, I would think more like um, Robin Hood. Oh. Mm, mm. A bulletproof vest. Mm, also Robin Hood. Flat screen TV. Again, it takes a lot of effort to get that Again, into the car. Again, Robin Hood. Yeah. Uh, a jetpack. <laughs> Where do you get a jetpack? A green Birkenstock right shoe. Probably somebody who's drunk who's now just walking around with his left Birkenstock. Right. Harmonica. That doesn't seem like Not that. Not that weird. French bulldog statue. This one depends on the size. Of the statues? Yeah. I mean, like if it's a four-foot statue, that's, that's pretty strange that they left it. Leaf blower. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are pretty big. Kids scooter. Again, I could see that leaving in the trunk, maybe. Laundry hamper. Full or empty of laundry? Probably empty. Probably. Right? Empty. Fly fishing rod. Eh. <laughs> Mini Mouse light up ear. <laughs> Were they coming from Disney? That's the question. Probably. A butcher's knife. Mm. Maybe it was better they left it there because they decided not to kill the driver. Hopefully. Tuxedo. That's probably from the same person that left the marriage certificate. Well, it's, it's only a problem if they were wearing the tuxedo when they got in and then they weren't wearing it when they got out. Good point. Feather headband. Mm. A single dart. <laughs> Was it poisonous? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Emoji lunchbox. Yeah. Orange air mattress. Blown up or not? Couldn't, couldn't have possibly been blown up. A bride's veil. Again, probably with the marriage certificate and tuxedo. Right. Probably all left in the car together because they were naked getting out of the car. There you go. Pool cue. Um, I have a lot of questions about this one. Why Why are you bringing a pool cue with you? Even pool players don't do that. Um, I assume it was probably being used as a weapon in a fight. Uh, I want to know where that fight happened and if the pool cue was broken when it was found in the car. Or it could have been the guy... Who was trying to hustle the guy with the single dart? Uh, mm. Pink stuffed animal pig. Everybody has friends, man. College di- uh, college diploma, mm. and finally a red cape. Oh, a Superman cape, if you will. Could be, or it could be the guy with the tuxedo and the marriage certificate with the wife who left the one point three carat diamond in the car and also her bridal veil. A very complicated web we've woven. Right there. Here of all these missing items. I have a feeling that uh, the items left in Ubers in Las Vegas mm-hmm. and probably Miami Beach might be a little bit more interesting than, let's say, found in Des Moines or Boise. 
Mm. Think? Mm. Probably. 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 I would think that would be the most interesting places to find things left in an Uber. I would be very interested to see what people are leaving in Ubers in Boise, too, though. I assume it's a lot of beer. You remember the, sh- the show Taxi Cab Confessions? Why don't we have Uber or Lyft Confessions? They've tried that. Have they? Yeah. Really? Yeah, it's not Didn't that work popular. Out? Yeah. People don't want to talk that much when there's a camera going. Or they want to talk too much, and they're just not interesting. Well, I'm, I'm, uh, I don't know. The Taxi Cab Confessions show was pretty good. It's. I agree with that. I, I don't know. There was something really different about that show. Yeah, I guess so. Anyway, or Taxi Cab. What was the one where they had the game show in the cab? Cash Cab? Cash Cab was where it's at, man. They do need to bring Cash Cab back. I, I mean, you see plenty of videos now that are just like athletes driving the lift and people are surprised by who's driving. Yeah. Or they're, or they're not surprised by who's driving and that's the joke. Uh, but those are all produced by those companies, too. But we had that video, remember, of uh, John Elway, who was in a cab. And the cab driver lost his mind and, and couldn't believe it was actually John Elway. I don't remember, do don't, you? Don't want to talk about John Elway. <laughs> Might say something I regret. <laughs> okay, then. Well, that's it for uh, today's episode. Thanks again for being here, and thanks for listening, supporting. If you have questions, comments, concerns, you can always drop us a line. Either uh, leave a comment here on the old podcast episode and or send us a Twitter message. I'm at Denver 7 Traffic. I'm at Joseph Denver 7. And otherwise, have a great, fantastic rest of the week. Uh, Thanks again for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Libber, the Traffic Guy. I'm Cocoa Puff Enthusiast Joseph Peters. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring.